Are you looking for a better way to create your dream life? How to create wealth so you can enjoy your hobbies, friends, and family even more? Then this podcast is for you. We're Chris and Paul, and we're on a mission to help regular women and men gain access to passive income opportunities. Income opportunities that most people never even hear of. So let's start the show and create your fortune in wealth, health, and life, one step at a time. Hey everyone, today we're going to dive into the collapse of Silicon Valley Bank, Silvergate, Signature Bank, and others that are probably coming soon. And we're going to talk about how it may or may not affect real estate investing in the real estate business, okay? So there's a lot of buzz out there right now, a lot of fear-mongering, a lot of news just grabbing onto all of these stories. It's sexy to talk about all the failures and all the craziness and There's a lot going on with regard to some of the top banks coming in and bailing out other banks to uh, try to create the facade that we have it under control. And a lot of that was pushed or forced by the government. The government actually came in and asked, we'll use J.P. Morgan Chase as an example, to start sort of a bailout, if you will, amongst themselves versus the government needing to come and bail everybody out. Real quick side note, it does sound like the government is stepping in and making sure that they protect the folks who had deposits. So the clients, the customers, if you will. Now, most banks, if they're FDIC insured, they're federally insured up to 250000 And the average depositor doesn't have near that in the bank accounts. So they're covered. But people that are over that, the sense I'm getting from what I'm hearing is the government is going to backstop and make sure they're made whole. Now, who will not be protected is those investors in that bank, right? The folks who invested in some of the speculative things, perhaps at those banks we're investing in, they will not be made whole by the government. So what I want to make clear though, is this is uh, somewhat unique. You know, it's kind of like saying today, real estate is risky. It's a bubble and comparing it to 2008, they are totally different scenarios, 2008 to what we're seeing today and the shifts and adjustments in pricing, right? And not only Is it a whole different animal from 2008 to today? But you have to really isolate it into the specific asset classes to understand what really happened then and why a lot of the regulations that were put in place are protecting us today. Let's just use single family homes, for example. Multifamily and other types of real estate commercial are in a whole different segment. It would, it's very similar to what you're seeing with the banks today. Why are some of these banks failing? Well, If you think back about, let's say, the beginning of COVID when things started catching fire, you know, maybe not a great example, but as some of these uh, software technology companies, Zoom, Netflix, even Amazon started expanding rapidly and they were putting a lot of money into their infrastructure. They, Amazon, for example, went from around 300,000 employees to over a million employees within like a two year period. It was insane, right? So they were growing, they were expanding and you're now starting to see them pull back. They're actually halting plans to expand and build out some of these distribution centers and even corporate offices in some states that are offering severance packages, laying people off and all kinds of stuff because they have to adjust quickly, right? Well, back then when money was being injected into the market, not only were people spending a lot and these businesses were growing and expanding and hiring, but the government was stimulating that growth as well by just handing out money to everybody, right? And so a lot of these folks back then 
were investing money they were making in some of these banks. They were putting money into these banks, whether they're depositing or investing. And a lot of those banks that you're seeing now that are having some issues were putting a lot of their depositors' money into cryptocurrency. They were putting it in software and technology companies, a lot of startups, right? That's what some of these first banks that you're seeing issues with were heavily invested in. I mean, Silicon Valley banks rumored to have had somewhere between 15 and 20% of their depositors' money in crypto investments, which is insane, right? Considering crypto is such a small percentage of the overall investing market across the world, highly speculative, right? And obviously it has its highs and lows, but man, you can see obviously with folks pulling the money out of crypto, it's causing a major issue because these banks oftentimes lend on those investments. It's no different than when you put, let's say, $10,000 into the bank, the bank then leverages that money to go and lend to people, sharing a small percentage of that profit with you via savings account interest that you get, right? And when the interest rates are really low, you made nothing. Today, you can make 4 to 5% in a money market account. It's pretty insane, this shift. And the government, when they started raising interest rate, raised the cost of capital and lowered the value of a lot of these government bonds, which caused a lot of issues for some of these banks, right? Because many of them also put a large percentage of their depositors' money into some of these government-backed bonds and things of that sort. So a lot of jargon that most people don't care to hear about or really understand, to be honest with you. But it's good to understand why those banks are failing in general, right? And that it doesn't mean that the whole banking system is going to collapse. The majority of successful banks, particularly the big like four, are heavily diversified, right? They're not only insured, but they're also heavily diversified and have lots of assets spread out everywhere. So you're generally pretty safe with most of those banks. Although, as you saw in 2008, a lot can happen. Some of those banks, it was assumed were too big to fail, but they they went out, right? So I want to read through just real quickly what CNN said. Here's what they said. Why did it collapse? Well, SVB's collapse came suddenly following a frenetic 48 hours during which customers yanked deposits from the lender in a classic run on the bank. What does that mean? Well, as things started happening, as red flags started popping up, depositors started pulling money. Well, that causes major issues for banks too, right? Right now, there's a lot of people saying that. Get your money out of any bank other than the big four. Well, what's that going to do? That's going to create a monopoly with those four banks. And obviously, you're going to help to put a lot of these smaller banks out of business if you take all your money out. So I would encourage you to dig into what the asset class is of your bank and how they're diversified before you go and panic. It's likely that we're not going to have thousands of banks failing, although I suppose anything can happen. So, But the root of its demise goes back several years. Like many other banks, SVB plugged billions into U.S. government bonds during the era of zero interest rates. What seemed like a safe bet quickly became unstuck. And as the Federal Reserve raised interest rates aggressively to tame inflation, that became an issue. With interest rates rising, bond prices fell. So the jump in rates eroded the value of SVB's bond portfolio, and it screwed up their yield, right? At the same time, the Fed's hiking spree sent borrowers' costs higher, meaning tech startups had to channel more cash towards repaying debt. Right. So basically what that means, a lot of these startups had to pull money out of the banks to pay for a lot of these interest rate payments that were going up because most commercial rates that you get, unless they're Fannie or Freddie fixed long-term debt, and sometimes are a little bit harder to get, 
are bridge debt loans. And so they adjust at some point. And of course, some of these entities that are borrowing money can buy a cap, which puts a ceiling on the rise in those interest rates, but others don't. Like in the real estate space, most of us that buy real estate buy caps, which keeps the rate from going too high, right? So you don't get crushed. You might have three years, you might have one year, but at least it keeps you from getting crushed immediately. Some of these tech companies didn't have that luxury, right? So uh, at the same time, the Fed's hiking spree sent borrowers paying a lot more, right? And basically at the same time, they were struggling to raise new venture capital. So not only are they pulling money out to pay these interest rates, but they're not able to raise more money for many reasons. The economy is slowing a little bit. Uh, a lot of the money that was flowing in that people were just spending willy-nilly, they don't have it anymore. So they're not just investing in these startups. And then obviously with some of these companies uh, sort of digressing or going back or going back to pre-COVID levels, it creates a lot of fear in the market. Like, wait a minute, why is Amazon not building that distribution center? Why is this stock price dropping on this company, et cetera? And so it's like a perfect storm, right? So what sparked the bank run? While SVB's problems can be tracked back to its earlier investment decisions, the run on the banks was triggered Wednesday when the lender announced that it had sold a bunch of securities at a loss and would sell $2.25 billion in new shares to plug the hole in finances. That set off a panic among customers who withdrew their money in large numbers, right? We were talking about that, customers pulling their money out, which causes major problems for banks because they leverage that money. The bank's stock plummeted by 60%. Thursday and dragged other bank shares down as the investors began to fear a repeat of the global financial crisis a decade ago, right? By Friday morning, trading on SVB shares was halted and it had abandoned efforts to raise capital or find a buyer. Um, California regulators intervened, shutting the bank down and placing it in receivership under the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation, which typically means liquidating a bank's assets to pay back the depositors and creditors. And as I talked about earlier, the government came in and said, hey, hey, hold on a second. We're going to get this thing squared away. We're not going to let depositors get affected or be affected, but we are going to let those investors lose their money. And again, they're not going to bail them out, if you will. And they're not bailing the bank out either. This podcast is sponsored by Sterling Rhino Capital. Are you sick of the stock market volatility and looking for something more stable and less emotional to invest in? Have you always wanted to be a real estate investor, but don't have the time or desire to be a landlord? Do you want to build a portfolio of commercial real estate assets, grow your net worth, and increase your income without having to trade your time for it? Sterling Rhino Capital provides opportunities to everyday hardworking people just like you to invest in private commercial real estate assets that make all of this possible. Become a partner and join the Sterling Rhino Capital Investor Club to get access to these exclusive deals. Text the word RHINO to 66866 to learn more. That's text the word RHINO, R-H-I-N-O, to 66866 to learn more. So what does this mean to real estate, right? Because that's really what people in my space care about. How does it affect real estate? Well, this doesn't necessarily affect real estate. Now, if a larger issue occurs where more and more banks start, let's say, failing, if you will, and you have your money or investors' money in those banks, well, then yes, it could affect you. But as you saw, the government came in here and at least backed and insured that money. Now, generally, the federal government insurance that banks pay into insures your money up to 250000 which is not a lot when you're talking about larger multifamily assets, right? So you don't know if a 
uh, government entity is going to come in and backstop anything over 250. They're saying they are in these first couple of banks, but who knows? But why would they fail? That's the question. And if you look at some of these banks, you can see the telltale signs as to why they are failing. Most banks are not investing in speculative investments or backing speculative assets like a couple of these banks were, right? And there's lots of reasons. I mean, why these things happen, mismanagement, et cetera. But if your money is, I'd say, in some of the top banks, or it's been invested already and you have a loan on it, the only thing you really have to worry about as a real estate investor or a syndicator, let's say, who's buying a property is, did you buy the right cap rates to keep your interest rate from going up for the most part? Because that asset is sound, right? If Whether you're buying land, you're developing, or you're buying an existing property, that property has value. And today, even though you're seeing single family values drop a little bit because they were inflated quite a bit, you're not seeing a lot of that in the commercial space because commercial real estate's value is assessed on the amount of income it produces. And while you are seeing the economy shudder a little bit, you're not seeing major um, vacancy issues in apartment complexes, and you're not seeing rents really drop all that much across most key markets. So how does this bank failure affect real estate? It really doesn't affect it that much. And part of it is because real estate's value is based on the amount of income it produces. And right now you're not seeing a fluctuation of a lot of that income. The only thing you might see is interest rates go up a little, which will affect cash flows in some cases, right? And the main reason for that is because if you're paying a higher interest rate and you were you were cash flowing at one point, well, now you have higher expenses in a sense, right? Because your interest payment is going up a little bit, which can affect cash flows. So I would say, in my opinion, again, I'm not a financial advisor, but I give you my opinion based on experience and all the things that I'm hearing out and about, especially the big conferences. I go to and the experts is that you might see cash flow slow down for a little while, right? Slow down or even be halted for a little while. But as soon as this craziness goes away, and especially when the interest rates come back down, which they will historically, they always come back down. If you look at any recession in the past 20 of them, you can see interest rates come back down. That will positively affect what you're seeing right now, which is a rise in interest payments and an effect on cash flows. So the reality is, folks, it's probably not going to affect real estate that much. I would stay tuned. I wouldn't get too caught up in the day-to-day with these banks it's all going to work out. I mean, if you think about even the 2008 financial crisis, which was so dramatically different, there's a lot of protection mechanisms that were put in place today. But even if you look back then, it was a handful of banks. It was single family properties in most cases with people that were way over leveraged. They were putting 3% down, no money down. You know, They were making way less money than they needed to to qualify to pay these payments. And if you could breathe into a mirror, you could get a loan. That is certainly not the case today. Banks were a lot more stringent on their rules of lending the last 10 years or so. And so even though some of these rates will adjust, a lot of the borrowers were in a way different position than they were in 2008, be it single family or commercial. So just be mindful. Don't get caught up in all the craziness, the negativity, all the fear mongering. Just make sure that, as always, that you are diversified and that you have some cash on hand. Um, If you want to pull that cash out of the bank, you're fine if that makes you comfortable. But I would say that if you're in some of the larger banks and you're well diversified, you probably don't have a whole lot to worry about, especially if you have less than $250,000 in the bank. 
And you can take that to the bank, no pun intended. As I said, it's a lot of fear-mongering and people get caught up in all the drama, but it's it's really not the end of the world here. And I don't think it's going to affect real estate that much. I think if you're invested in real estate, you're probably in a pretty safe place, especially when these interest rates come back down and everything starts firing up again. Right now, you've got a, a little bit of a lull with let's say folks investing or even in some cases people buying and selling because they're kind of just waiting for things to settle but i'm a firm believer that there is no right time to buy sell or invest you can't time the market you just got to kind of stay in it all the time if you can and just make sure you're well diversified so i hope this clears up a little bit of the confusion i've been asked this question a bunch lately from investors and friends in the business not because i'm a subject matter expert by any means, but it's just a topic of conversation. And I kind of wanted to put this fire out, if you will, and just kind of give some clarity. There are lots of articles, but they all kind of say the same thing. And I mostly wanted to just touch on how it will or will not affect real estate today. So if you have any questions, please comment on our sites, reach out, leave a comment on the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and share with your friends. We appreciate you. Thanks. If you're ready to start creating your fortune today, head over to createyourfortunepodcast.com forward slash income. When you get to the page, there are two options. Option one is for you if you're not sure exactly how the investment process works or how to get ready to be an investor. We've created a short, fast class you can sign up for that will walk you through the steps and answer questions like, what does a good investment look like? And so much more. It even includes an audio version so you can quickly learn on the go as you golf, go to your day job, or work out. Just think, in a couple of days, you can start listening and learning about creating your fortune and not be stuck wondering, do I even have enough to retire? And then option two is for you if you're a sophisticated or accredited investor and have money to invest, you just need to talk to us about our next investment opportunity. You can quickly schedule a call with us and we can walk you through your options on how to get dividends flowing right away. We can help you create a plan to have three to 10,000 or even more in passive income every month that's reliable, safe, and steady. Ditch the small returns and unpredictable growth. Head over to createyourfortunepodcast.com forward slash income and let's build the life of your dreams today.